today's scripture reading is from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 22, verses 1 to 5, and the book of Psalms, chapter 142. 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 to 5. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. Psalm 142. A maskal of David, when he was in the cave, a prayer. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see. There is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. This is the word of the Lord. So in the summer of 1886, that's where our story began. That's where our church was birthed. And it was at Blair's, a pub in East Vancouver. The next Sunday, there was this massive fire in the city of Vancouver. And so most of Blair's and most of the city was burnt down. And what ended up happening is it was just a bunch of people worshiping outside this place. And so our story begins at a pub. Our story begins with being a church that's on the move, that's been displaced. And then here we are in our time of waiting for a new building, and we're this place, but, you know, also being led by God in this, in this place. And so, um, you know, we, we, it's, it's kind of our thing, right, <laughs> to be in this place. And it's been a joy to see the resilience of this congregation. And so in the 30, 137 years of our, of our church, the, the focus of the church has always been how does the good news of Jesus Christ impact every square inch of this city? What does that mean? What does, it, what does that mean for us to live in that way? And so in 1982, around 41 years ago, the church had discerned this call that we would seek the peace of the city, that we will live out the good, good news of Jesus Christ by offering professional counseling, providing mental health support. And so that's been 
the practice of the church. And as you have been notified this past Wednesday, it's our intention to continue to do so in the building, in our new building, and we're going to do it in a new way. And it's our intention to enter into an agreement with Burnaby Counseling Group, and they are a wonderful, wonderful organization. We've done the research. They have 45 years of, of, of doing some amazing work. And we've had our congregation members, we've, I've, had, I've, had, I've referred my, my friends who are in the West End to Burnaby Counseling Group, and they've, all the feedback that I've received so far, I, I kid you not, all the feedback that I've received so far has been very, very positive. Uh, it's been very formative for them and helpful. And so it's really my joy to introduce Cameron Keller to you. He's the executive director of Burnaby uh, Counseling Group. Um, he's, you know, a man of faith. He has a lot. He's contributed a lot in, in this city and in this country. Uh, not only has he helped uh, with consulting with the World Health Organization, he was the national vice president of programs and priorities with mental health uh, mental health uh, commission in, in Canada. Uh, there's a whole slew of things in his re- resume that he's accomplished over time. But I think the most important thing is that he's married to Shanna Lisa here, <laughs> and he's a wonderful dad to two sons, Caden and, and Bracton. And so, Cameron, would you uh, come up here? We're going to pray for you. Welcome. So friends, would you join me in prayer? Living God, we thank you for the ways that you have redeemed Cameron. You have called him and you've used him powerful and wonderful ways. And we look forward to the years to come in the ways that you utilize his gifting, his temperament, his experiences uh, for, for the name of Jesus Christ. And today, this morning, we ask that you be with him as he open, opens your word. May your spirit empower him. We thank you also for the work that he's doing for Burnaby Counseling Group and all the many things that he's involved with. Bless those work. May it glorify you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you, Pastor Kim, and good morning to all of you. Uh, what a joy it is to be able to come and visit a faith community that, that I've never attended and to see new faces, meet new people, and yet there's that thing that happens in that moment when you enter and you lock eyes with people and you say good morning and you hear the worship team beginning to practice and you know you're here with a united purpose. And so I'm just so thankful for the honor to be here this morning. Thank you, worship team. There's a part of me that's tempted, actually, to invite our sister back up and spend the next half an hour just worshiping in Spanish. Um, <clears throat> I don't speak another language, but I think I, uh, I now know which one I will learn if I am going to learn one. I would like to take a moment just to acknowledge uh, the, the transition that this church is in. You know, further to what Pastor Kim mentioned about waiting for the building to be ready, and I understand we've got new information that the completion date could be put out again. As, as Steve Milo said to me, here's my face of surprise, right? I mean, these things just happen. But also being here this morning and just knowing that Pastor Ben, he- ben Heward is, is moving on to another church. We know that Philippe, uh, Philippe? Philippe has been called to another church. And what comes to mind for me is just even in the topic of peace in our city, 
One of the ways in which this faith community is doing that is by furnishing, sponsoring, empowering, and sending out leaders, equipping them. And so it's a hard transition, right? It's a hard a hard thing to say goodbye, and you'll get to do that both after the service today and again next Sunday with these important uh, men of God and their families that have been a part of the community. But but this this is a signal that you are being obedient to God, you are doing his work. When Pastor Kim invited me to come and speak, I thought to myself, well, I really want to, you know, preach a legitimate sermon, you know, something that's actually going to matter, but at the same time, align it in some way to what it is that has brought the partnership together between the Burnaby Counseling Group and First Baptist Church. And so when I heard the topic, Peace in the City, it came to me that there couldn't have been a better topic. Because when we think about the work that we do and and in the prayer, it was mentioned about the mental health situation in our culture today, in our Western world and what's happening, even pre-pandemic folks, but post-pandemic as well, and how that there is such a need for us as people of God to be, be finding ways of contributing to peace during a really challenging time to live in our life and world. And so what does that look like? And so this morning, the topic I've chosen is peace in our city through relationship. And so you might say, well, well, naturally, Cameron, I mean, you know, you're, you're doing counseling. And so counseling is a relationship business. Now, I would pause for a moment and say, I actually be, believe no matter what kind of work you do, in no matter what sector it is, you are in a people business. But yes, indeed, there is something really unique. There's that unique feature, isn't there? In what you would, and maybe you're here today and you don't know a lot about what does community-based mental health look like? What actually goes on in a counselor room? But you would know enough to know that it's about relationship. It's about connection. It's about, about human-to-human contact. And that is what God has called us to do <clears throat> through many avenues, through many mechanisms, and so as, as you might have picked up on through the scripture reading this morning, we're going to pick up the story of King David, David before he was a king. And, and the scripture was read from 1 Samuel chapter 22, where we find that David is in this difficult place. He's in this difficult place where he's actually running for his life. And then in Psalm 142, we get to witness his prayer his call, his desperation saying, help me, I need help, I'm desperate of soul, I need comfort, there's things not going well in my life. But the interesting thing is just to recall where we're at in this historical context, you might recall that God had never intended for the nation of Israel to have an earthly king because God was king. And what God had put in place from a governance sense of things is he had put judges in place to judge the people. But the children of Israel saw what other nations of the world were doing and they had a king and they said, God, we want to do it the same way. We want to have an earthly king. And so finally, God granted them this and Saul was that first king of Israel. But if you know anything about the life of David, you know that there was a point in time where David was called and anointed to become the next king of Israel. And we get to see this life of this man that we think so highly of, right? He's called a man after God's own heart. He's a poet. He's an armor bearer. He's the harpist for King Saul. God's elevating him. He slays a giant. He fights off a hungry bear. 
He's even part of the lineage of Jesus Christ himself, the Lion of Judah. David is rising in popularity. His star is rising. He's he's the future everything. And in fact, the Bible tells us he was so popular that the women would actually dance and they would celebrate all of his victories. He was a shining star. As this continues to happen, sin enters King Saul's heart and Saul becomes jealous. Saul becomes jealous of of, of David's ascendance. And in fact, Saul then sets out to kill him, as you've likely read in scripture. Tries to get him with a javelin two different times when he's vulnerable. Tries to set him up to go into a war where he hoped and believed David would actually be killed. And so things change for this young man, David. There's an abrupt change in his life from having victory after victory to having accolade after accolade for being honored of being the armor bearer and the harpist of the king to the king actually after his own life. And David begins to run. David starts to see the enemy and he begins to fear the enemy. He starts to wonder if he has sinned. And then there's this time where he doesn't even show up for a really important event called the Feast of the New Moon, where he's supposed to be there. Why? Because he's David. And so it's interesting because when things start to decline in our lives, when we undergo challenges, when our mental health begins to decline, it begins to impact all areas of our life. And sometimes we're unable to show up. Sometimes it impacts our vocation. It impacts our relationships. It impacts our our behavior and our conduct and our ability to relate in community. And so here is is David, and it's all, all this thing is happening. And you know, there's this interesting thing. And I grew up in the church. I'm in my 50s, and I grew up in the Alliance Church and in the Baptist Church. And I can always remember this message. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And do not be afraid And so you might think right now would be a good time for me to transition into a message on fear. Because maybe this would be a good time to say, well, David didn't need to be afraid. And maybe the message this morning could be, if you're going through something in your life that's challenging, don't be afraid. That's not my message. Because do you know that the same David who wrote, I will trust and not be afraid, said, at the time I am afraid, I will trust. Fear is part of life. And sometimes we find ourselves in that moment where a sermon on fear isn't actually what we need to hear because we need to be in that place. And from that place of fear, from that place of desperation, from that place of not knowing if we're going to survive another day, and be able to carry out what God has for us in our lives, sometimes we just need to be in that place. And there's another set of things that need to come around us. Let's continue on and talk a little bit more about what happens to David. So David ultimately becomes responsible for the death of 85 priests. David escapes to the wilderness and hides out in strongholds. Saul is continuing after him. He finds himself absolutely surrounded by the enemy. Then he gets to experience this thing called loss, where Samuel, a very important man in his life, dies, which would have been a very big loss. And do you know 
that it took five years of this happening before Saul actually left David alone. And we think about those times when, when we're, we're, in, we're in trials and tribulations or things aren't going well in my life and we, and we say, when is this going to be over, God? It's already been three weeks. It's already been six months. And here we have this man, David, who still intended to be the future king, anointed by God, man after God's own heart, slayed Goliath, you know, the bear, etc. And for five years, he's in this very difficult place. Then there's this little twist. Things start looking up and start running a bit smoother. He's trusted by a, a Philistine king and he's given a city called Ziklag. And when David leaves town, the city ends up getting destroyed. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 30, a little bit further on in the book, we hear that David's wives were captured. The men were talking about stoning him. And it says, David and his men wept until they had no more power to weep. He wept until he had no more power to weep. Folks, we are not talking about the Monday morning blues. We are talking about total devastation and despair. And so as we talk about relationships this morning, there's five points that I want to make around relationships and how we link relationships to peace in our city. And the first one is this. In relationships, we need to have an understanding of the human condition. Again, from Felipe's prayer this morning, he talked about the mental health crisis that we're in. And one thing I really want you to understand, folks, is that we in the Canadian context are absolutely in a mental health crisis. And let me just talk a little bit about the prevalence rate of mental health challenges. We know, and this, by the way, is pre-pandemic data. And so we are still waiting for uh, more current data to, to emerge around what the impact of the, the pandemic was. But we know anecdotally, increased levels of anxiety, increased level of depression, increased level of substance abuse, more and more suicides, and, and a lot of people really struggling. But even before the pandemic, the data told us that in Canada, one in five Canadians will experience a mental health issue in any given year. And I am not necessarily talking about the most serious diagnosable mental illness in our Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, but again, I'm absolutely not talking about the Monday morning blues. I am talking about something true in the situation that is making it very, very challenging to function in one or more areas of life. And so if you look around this room and imagine that one in five or 20% of us in this next 365 days will be in that situation. And if we broaden that out across Canada, where we now have a little over 40 million Canadians, one in five means eight million in this next year. And to put that into context, we've only got under three million Canadians living with type two diabetes and under two million Canadians living with heart disease. But if the number with heart disease or type 2 diabetes shot up to 8 million, I think you'd agree with me, we'd call it a crisis. We'd call it an epidemic. And so what I need the church to know, 
what I need the people of First Baptist to really understand. We are in a mental health crisis, and this is why God has called you to partner with our organization and to do the important work that you're doing to promote mental health, wellness, and recovery, okay? So not only do we need to understand that uh, uh, link relationships and understanding the human condition, but the second point is relationships and acceptance. Relationships and its acceptance of all. There, there has been in our society for far too long stigma and discrimination associated with mental health, okay? Now, we, in the Canadian context, have done a relatively good job in reducing stigma associated with, with gender, sexual orientation, uh, ethnicity, and those kinds of things, we've started to really help people understand that it's not okay to hold prejudice attitudes and to, to engage in discriminatory behavior. Our learning has a long way to go around mental health. We have come a long way. And you might notice that young people today in high schools, for instance, are talking much more openly about mental health than people that grew up in the 60s and the 70s. This is a positive thing. But even in the church, we have sometimes inadvertently and unknowingly set up systems that discriminate against people with mental illness and mental health problems. And I'm not here to point a finger or blame anybody. I'm just talking systemically in the church. We have done this. Okay, in the universal church. And so what my key message here is around the importance of acceptance, the importance of recognizing there isn't an us and them mentality. You know, when, when, when I was growing up, a person with a mental health problem was kind of talked about as, as over there. And what we used to do is we'd actually lock them up into, into institutions and keep them there. And now that has changed. And I mean, the whole question around institutionalization is one that's broadly debated, which we don't get in, won't get into this morning. But the important message is we need communities like First Baptist to be reducing stigma, to recognize that we all need God's grace, that we are all equal. It isn't an us and them mentality, and it's about acceptance. And I'll take this opportunity to note, you know, that that in a lot of instances, well-meaning people, including believers, come alongside people in crisis and, 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 and want to help them. And it's out of a good place, but they'll try to problem solve or give advice or, or minimize. And this isn't what the church's job is to do. The church's job is to come alive, come alongside, fully accept, and fully embrace. I want you to see what David did. When David found that cave, to hide in, he left it open and people gathered. It tells us that it was the distressed, which by the way, literally means bitter of soul. Those in debt, those that were discontented, they came and they gathered. In fact, I would, I would venture to say this was David's first congregation. This was actually when he truly became a leader. He became a leader in that moment when from that place of his own brokenness, he opened up accepted others, they gathered unto him, he led them. So we've talked so far, the first thing about relationships and understanding the human condition. Secondly, relationships and acceptance of all. And the third point I want to make relates to relationships and my own brokenness. 
One of the things that I believe is so important, folks, is for us to all recognize our own vulnerability. I might ask you to, to, to look in Scripture and tell me about your favorite miracle Jesus did. You know, and some of you would say, well, it was the healing of the blind man because that was like really, you know, really dramatic. Or, or, or maybe it was when they lowered the man, you know, through the, through the ceiling onto the floor and he healed him. Or, or maybe it's the water into wine. I mean, we're in a wine culture now, right? So that was a good one. What I would like to say to you today is I believe the moment Jesus did his very best work when he was when he was in that ultimate place of brokenness because it wasn't until he hung on the cross gushing blood that he made the statement it is finished and the skies went dark and the veil tore in two that was Jesus' best work. He didn't do it from a place of power. He did it from a place of brokenness. I know in my personal life and story, you know, when people will ask me, well, how did you get into sort of the people helping counseling profession? And when I share my story, which I don't have time to do this morning, really what the message is, is it was when I got in touch with my own brokenness. It was when in my early 20s, when I was a Bible college student, I experienced something that was extremely painful where I can remember crawling on the floor of my dean's office, wheezing in pain. And then I sought out professional counseling help that was life-changing for me. And I'm a believer that it's when we get in touch with our brokenness, when we truly become aware of where our gaps are, where our struggles are. It's from that place that we can minister. David could have never been the great king he became if he hadn't had this experience. Here's a little bit about what we hear that, that David felt as, as was read from Psalm 142. My spirit grows faint within me. Men have hidden a snare for my life. No one cares for my life. I am in desperate need. Listen to my cry. Set me free from prison. Does that sound like a king to you? Has anybody ever talked to you like that? Have you ever been face to face, side by side with a person whose situation is so unmanageable that they are in such desperation? And you know what also happened shortly thereafter, or in fact, it was just prior David ended up finding himself drooling like a madman, pretending to be insane in the presence of the enemy so that he could escape, okay? This was a desperate situation. I want to encourage all of us to become aware of our own brokenness, of our own neediness. One of the things David said, and we read it in the scripture, Psalm 122, verse 4, he says... You remember from the reading, he took his parents to Moab for a place to, to be. And he said, until I learn what God will do for me. And sometimes we find ourselves in that place where we know it's going to take a miracle. The reality is mental health exists on a continuum. And maybe you're an individual that you've never in your life experienced a mental health crisis at that far end of the continuum, 
But it's not an either or. And we're all vulnerable based on the kinds of life events that happen around us to, to end up in a situation where we're in a mental health crisis. The fourth thing I want to point out is related to relationships and healing power. Before I talk about the healing power of relationships, I'd like to acknowledge that sometimes it is actually the result of something that goes on in a relationship that contributes to our mental health declining. Sometimes it can be some kind of conflict or an abusive relationship or where there's trauma experienced that can actually lead to the mental illness or the declining mental health or the crisis in and of itself. But the main message I want to bring you this morning is how that relationships are what brings healing and connection. God in and of himself is relationship in his very being. He is Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right within him is relationship. When he created Adam and Eve, the Bible tells us that God walked and talked with Adam in the cool of the day, this image of them out for an evening walk together, almost like a, like a romantic couple might do. Why? Because that's how we do connection and relationship. There's something interesting that happens is that Jonathan comes to David and says, whatever you want me to do for you, I will do for you. That's the kind of relationships we need in our faith community. That's the kind of response we need to people in our broader community. There's this, there's this interesting thing that I'll tell you is that we're all familiar with the 9-11 the tragedy from back in 2001, right? The Twin Tower bombings. And, and what might not surprise you is that as psychologists and sociologists have followed groups of individuals that were directly impacted by those events, and by directly impacted, I mean they were in the burning buildings or in the vicinity. As you might expect, a lot of those people are not doing very well today. The trauma they experienced, the loss they experienced was so difficult that they're not coping well. But there is this subgroup of people that has been noticed that not only have they shown resilience and bounced back well from the trauma, they are actually thriving today in a way where some psychologists have floated the idea that, hey, maybe we need to coin a new, a new term, a new construct, post-traumatic growth. And what we know to be true about everyone in that subgroup is that that was the group of people that had connection, that had social support usually in the form of a loving partner, but always in the form of a broader community and people to be alongside. Because here's the reality. Given our human condition, suffering in life is inevitable. Suffering alone, intolerable. Which is why the worst form of human torture is isolation. And so we as a church community have this opportunity to come alongside, to provide emotional support. Again, it's not about fixing. 
It's about being alongside. It's about emotional presence. It's about even when Paul writes in, 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 about the, you know, the armor of God in Ephesians 6, you know, the, the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the spirit and all the rest. And we think about this kind of Christian life being a spiritual battle and we have to have all this armor and be ready to go. Have you ever noticed that at the end of the chapter, he says this? And he says, oh, by the way, in addition to all that armor, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send Tychicus to you to comfort your hearts and know your affairs because relationship matters. And it was that relationship that David had with Jonathan and the way Jonathan came alongside to love and care for him that was the difference maker. And that's what this church is investing in through bringing community-based mental health. The, four, the fifth and final point I want to talk about is relationships and recovery. Guess what? David still became king. And what I want you to understand is that you may not have watched the journey of individuals living with vulnerabilities, perhaps even serious mental health problems, and you may not have seen recovery happen, but I want you to know recovery is possible. Even individuals living with some of the most serious mental health issues in our community can recover and improve in their wellness and, and become the fullness of what God wants them to be and image bearers in our city. I'd love to tell you about a project we did a number of years ago called the At Home Chez Soi Project where we had $110 million from Health Canada, and we actually did a recovery-oriented housing-first approach in five cities across Canada, including here in Vancouver. The whole idea was to contribute to research and evidence around what can solve homelessness long-term. Unfortunately, governments have not chosen to make those investments, but I'm not here to be political this morning. But, but what I can tell you is that we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people across Canada living with some of the most challenging uh, mental health problems that when they were housed and supported came into recovery. You need to recognize a person is more than their mental illness. A person is a person. Recovery and healing is possible. And the work we do with individuals in the counseling center here in the Butterfly Building in partnership with you will contribute to that. If you read on and you go into 1 Samuel chapter 30, God says to David, go pursue the enemy, overtake them and succeed in the, you'll succeed in the rescue. And I know God wasn't talking to David about mental health here, but, but, but I think I can use it as a metaphor. And you know what David did? He did recover his wives. The Bible tells us that nothing lacked. He even took the spoil, meaning he was actually better off in his end state than before this experience. Recovery is possible. So what is the practical application this morning? The practical application is for you as a community to really understand how critical relationship is. To understand how important it is to understand the human condition, the, the sin-cursed earth that we live in, where both physical health and mental health challenges are, are real and prevalent. To understand uh, relationships and acceptance and how it's important for us to accept and not stigmatize, for us to understand relationships and, and, and our brokenness, 
and recognize that we, from our own place of brokenness, are actually in our best situation to actually minister to others, to understand relationships and the healing power of connection. We are created in the image of God. God is relationship. It is a mammalian survival code encoded on your DNA that you need relationship and connection. You don't need to fix people's problems. You don't need to give them advice. You need to be present. And finally, to know that mental health recovery is possible. And so maybe you're thinking this morning about some of your own inadvertent sort of attitudes and behaviors around mental health and maybe some stigma you hold to that you need to combat. Maybe you're thinking here about how you might participate tangibly in the mission of the counseling center. The church is going to be raising money for subsidies to, to make access to professional counseling uh, more affordable for people that otherwise might not afford it. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're aware of your own mental health condition and maybe, maybe you need to seek professional help and you haven't. And I want to encourage you to take that step, to reach out. Or whatever it might be. And, and may God continue to bless you, uh, bless the Burnaby Counseling Group, bless our partnership, bless uh, the work that we're going to do together to conti continue to contribute to peace in our city through really unique and important relationships. May God bless you. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.